Hey, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hello, everyone. I think you're starting to get the picture from our conversations or story that there's no one way to be an entrepreneur. It's part of what I love about being an entrepreneur and talking to other entrepreneurs. Today's guest really goes to prove this and is the type of entrepreneur we really don't talk much about. We've talked about acquisition entrepreneurships, talked about entrepreneurship, we've talked about acquisition, and we've talked with social entrepreneurs. Well, today's entrepreneur has become an intrapreneur, creating and building something within a larger organization. Now, he's walked the walk and talked the talk, talked the walk, walked the walk. He's a successful entrepreneur in his own right. He started multiple companies with great exits, companies like Earned It and Fundera, which I actually really liked back in the day. Now he's a general manager of a spinoff within a larger company. And I'm really excited to learn more about what he's been doing and how he looks at his own entrepreneurial journey. Because if you are lucky enough to sell, building an organization within a larger is not easy. And it's something, though, that could be very uh, interesting in the future. So without further ado, let's welcome the GM of Wonderkin Advertising. Hi, Andre. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm really excited to have you here. Hey, Jay. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and you're, you're back in my old neck of the woods. I used to actually live in Battery Park City and down on um, Pearl Street, just a little bit over and down from where you are now in the World Trade Center. So really jealous that you're in my mental home right now <laughs> yeah we're on the we have two floors 74 and 75 in the world trade center so the views on a day and today's a crystal clear day you can just see for miles you can see every all three airports you can see the top of the jersey shorts it's beautiful yeah that building is really very cool and yeah i very very jealous so besides my jealousy here let's talk about i really in going through your background i really and as i was Telling the audience a little bit earlier, just you know, you've had some really cool companies. You, know, you started, you were co-founder, you have, and you know, exited, and now with Wonderkin, you're you know, as general manager. I'm really interested in learn where you see yourself on your own entrepreneurial journey these days. Yeah, the the role that I have now at Wonderkin, even though Wonderkin is now a 700 person company that I did not start when I joined it, I was employee number 160, but I was brought in to build a business within the company, to build a business unit. And so I've been the GM, which is kind of like another word for like a mini CEO, like within the company of that business unit for the past five years. And so I've been able to really scratch that entrepreneurial itch in that capacity and building that business here within, within a home called Wonderkin. So having been the co-founder and then coming in and getting to scratch that itch, did you see the skill sets changing? Obviously, the people you were, you know, instead of investors, you had internal. How did that kind of skill set for you, you know, how did that 
change or was it pretty much the same? No, it's, it's definitely quite different. Um, I would say one of the biggest changes to the typical entrepreneurial journey where you start your own company, the biggest change to starting a business unit within a broader company is consistently conveying the vision to the executive team and to your own team members and why we matter in the company, even though we are such a small component of it. It's almost like you need to consistently sell in your reason for existing and the business that you are going to become so long as you consider continue to have the resources and the support of the executive team and other folks within the company. One challenge as well is that the folks that are dedicated to this business unit, it's natural for these folks to feel like they are an afterthought a little bit because we're not part of the core company, uh, what's driving 95% of the revenue and what have you. So it is quite easy to slip into that mentality of like, oh, we're somewhat of an afterthought or, hey, we only get scraps or only get certain shared resources, which was actually true five years ago uh, when we were starting this business unit, right? We were getting shared resources and we were some an afterthought. Now, fortunately, we've grown this business unit so that it's now contributing about 20% of the company's revenue. So it's certainly no longer an afterthought. But I will say that some of that scar tissue from folks that were here three, four, five years ago, they still have a little bit of that sentiment, even though it's not as justified anymore. Yeah, I've been part of Skunk Works and other things in different companies going back and forth between doing my own companies and other. And it is that kind of like, well, yeah, we, you know, on the one side, we get to do a little bit cooler, stranger things, but (laughs) no one pays attention to us unless it really goes very well. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, I mean, in doing that, in kind of making sure, is it really, because one, you know, I always love the kind of the mission of the CEO is sort of like, <laughs> make sure the money's there, make sure you have a really great destination that's worthwhile for everyone, you know, the strategy, but then sell the story. And, you know, you were hitting on that. Is that, did you feel like you had to do that more than when you were in a more traditional startup or because... Entra is really a cool concept because a lot of companies are trying to bring more of that inside. Did you feel you have to, to use that storytelling more in this process? The benefit in this case was that our Wonderkins founder and CEO, Ryan Urban, has always been a, a very strong believer in this product and in this business unit. And so I always had a champion, a strong champion at that in our CEO. And so I would say that while the role that I have as GM is still very similar to a startup CEO or a startup founder where you have to make sure that you have the resources, you have to make sure that your team is inspired and will run through a wall. You have to make sure that those early customers are loving your offering and that love, love your business and that they'll you know p- put out a good word for you out in the market. All of those things that a typical startup CEO would do, I also would need to do in this business unit. But I would say that I do benefit from having our company's company-wide CEO being a big champion of what we're doing. That is very cool. <laughs> I think a lot of us uh, in the entrepreneurial journey, given that at times it could be quite lonely, having a champion who's in your side could be a really good thing. That's right. And to that point, if I can, AJ, I always advise founders to get a co-founder. I think the solo, you know, solo entrepreneur, solo founder is a a very lonely path. And, you know, you're going to have a lot of, of, of difficult days naturally. 
And in those difficult times, you want a co-founder to pull you back up and to, you know, to be there, whether that be the proverbial shoulder to cry on or just a pep talk. You want that co-founder there with you to help you out in those difficult times. And then even in times of celebration, it's really fun to be able to celebrate that with somebody as well. So I do encourage people as much as possible to get a co-founder simply for the emotional benefit, frankly, that comes from it. And no one entrepreneur has all the skill sets required to be successful. And so certain gaps in their in their skill set could be filled by a co-founder that's strong in those areas. Kind of playing that balancing point. Yeah, I know from my own experience, having done my businesses pretty much on my own, and then had experiences advising companies that were with co-founders, it was like, oh, wow. Yes, you guys fight a lot, but you also have each other's back. I'm going to cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and those co-founder little battles, it, it happens. Startups, oftentimes, one of the biggest threats to startups in the early days are you know, co-founder quarrels and disputes and, and divorces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen more than a few companies, even when it's not someone, not two people in the company getting divorced, but one major person getting a divorce. The economic, you know, and it's yes, the emotional of that person, but then them having to justify the financial structure and that can get pretty yep. ugly yep. for other stakeholders. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Thank God I've stared away from that. What is one thing on your journey that you think has had the biggest impact on you as an entrepreneur, your entrepreneurial capability, your direction, I, you know, however you want to define it? But what's one thing that you kind of look at as being like, wow, that had such a huge impact? So my first job out of college, I went to a consulting firm called AT Carney. This was in 2000 here in New York, joined AT Carney. A year later, actually it was just before 9-11, it was basically August of, of 2001, AT Carney basically let go of the entire class of new hires that they had made a year prior. And so I was part of that. They did it in, I think, two or three different tranches. And so I was part of that. And having lost my job, I think, had a big impact on me not wanting to feel that again and wanting to make sure that, you know, I create my own job. I create my own destiny. Other thing is, I joke around, a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, can relate to this, is when they're, to a certain degree, unemployable because... You want to do things your way. And, and so, you know, for, for those folks that really just want to go to the beat of their own drum and do things their way, being kind of a, I, mean, I hate, this sounds disparaging, but just being a cog in a, in a large system is very unappealing. And so I, I do like to have, you know, autonomy uh, and that, that matters a lot. It's funny. Um, in early 2000, I got recruited by A.T. Carney and I got into sort of this two company startup. I mean, this is late January. So, I mean, the timing is sort of well written on the wall, but like I almost went there and then I ended up going to a startup that literally imploded within two weeks after I started an AT card. They were like, no, we're not returning your calls. (laughs) So um, yeah, that's why I was like, oh my God, I know. (laughs) Yep. That 2000 year was a lot of fun going into 2001. But no, I mean, I do. I think it's funny you say autonomy. I look at a lot of my journey because I felt I was unhirable, you know, from an early. I didn't have the right things, you know. It's like, wait, 
I was smart, but a jock in this. And I think it's interesting when you see all the different types of variations of why people become entrepreneurs. But you know, using autonomy, was that something when you went to Wonderkin that you crafted as part of that structure to make sure you had the right tension around autonomy? Yeah, you know, when I came over to Wonderkin to, to start and grow this business unit, it wasn't explicitly a conversation that I had with my CEO around, hey, I, I need autonomy, it's important to me. I, I think he knew that given my entrepreneurial past. He knew that, hey, I trust this person, I'm going to empower this person, I'll give them the support that he needs. And I turned to him for guidance too. He's, he's super, super, super sharp, one of the smartest people I've met. So, But I think he knew basically how to treat me in that role and allow me to have that autonomy. You know, and I think another thing that matters for me personally around the entrepreneurial journey, whether it be your typical you know, entrepreneurial route or startup route or what I'm doing here at Wonderkin, you know, a business within the business. What's really exciting is that I consider myself a generalist, right? Even though I would say the role that I'm probably strongest in is a, a sales role and like, you know, a client facing role in that capacity. Ultimately, I do like to think about the business holistically. And so I think, you know, for people that really like to touch up on all of those different functions, entrepreneurship is the best path for them. Because otherwise, if they are just pigeonholed to executing one function within a company, you're going to get bored fast, right? You either get bored of that industry quickly or you get bored of that role quickly. And you need that diversity either of industry or of role to keep it exciting. And so oftentimes, the startup journey is the way to do that because you're, you're wearing every single hat in the early days. Yeah. And advice on how to build a career is kind of, you know, there's just a little bit on this weird thing called the internet. But I do like a lot of discussions of, because I ended up doing it myself, if you want to really do, just go start a company. It doesn't matter. Just You're going to fail anyway, yeah, 99% likely. But what you'll be able to do and learn is more. And I do like that. Do you, with your position here in Wonderkin and given your background, do you talk to other entrepreneurs extolling this type of role or helping other entrepreneurs take this intra role. I've seen some interesting companies bring innovation, you know, all different things, but do you encourage this? I would hundred percent encourage this, especially I, I would say it depends on, on someone's life stage. How about that? So I, I would say if someone's in a life stage where they are able to take a lot of risk, either financially or based on, you know, whether they're you know married, have kids, what have you, you know, if they're able to take a lot of risk, then I absolutely would encourage someone, no, go and do the more typical startup and entrepreneurial route. I'd say once you get plenty of experience under your belt and you're at a life stage where taking on that kind of risk, just, you know, you get more risk averse as you get older and go through the advanced life stages with being married or having kids or what have you, whatever, you know, the, those commitments might be. Then I would say the entrepreneur route is certainly very, very appealing because you do get to scratch that itch of being an entrepreneur doing it within a little bit more you know, security and less risk than if you had just done it all on your own. I think it really just depends on the, on the person's life stage and risk appetite, really. How are you seeing this different, this group that you're now, how is this different than what you're seeing a lot of how most people think of technology advertising and sort of the play in the space? I think it would be a little bit more interesting to hear how you guys are different in this space from you. Yeah, absolutely. So we think that most ads on the internet are terrible, 
right? So most ads on the internet are there to try to get in your way of reading content or distract you or what have you, right? And nobody clicks on a link to go to a page in the hopes of seeing a bunch of ads. No, they clicked on that link with a motivation to be inspired, informed, entertained, what have you. And so there's an itch that needs to be scratched there, right? So when they clicked on that link. So the last thing you want to do is get in the way of that person consuming the content that they arrived there to consume. And so that's why most ads on the internet that just load, you know, right when the page loads, the ad is there or it's in between paragraphs or it's just, you know, it's super disruptive. And frankly, we think that sucks. And so we came to market with an ad format, an ad product that can tell when you are finished consuming content or when, how about this? We know when you're not actively actually consuming content in the moment, and then we'll put the ad in front of you in that perfect time where we know we're not going to be blocking your content or interfering with your content consumption. Because the analogy I use is we all have the, you know, perhaps these coworkers or family members, let's say you're at your computer, like reading an email or like working and someone comes up and asks you a question, you know, you might just give them a quick answer because you just want to shoo them away as quickly as you can because you are engrossed in the, whatever you were doing, whether it was reading an email or whatever. But instead, if that person came up to your desk and they saw that you were engrossed in an article or an email or whatever, and they just patiently waited, and then they could see from your body language that you were finished, and then they asked you the question, you can turn them and give them your full attention and give them a much better answer than the answer that you would have provided them had they just like interrupted you. And so if you think about advertising, you know, a brand that is paying money to get their message in front of an individual, isn't it wiser then to wait until that individual has finished reading an article and, you know, finished consuming the content that they arrived at that page to consume? And, and so if you wait and then you put that ad in front of them, you have more of their undivided attention. They're going to be more open to receiving that message clicking on the ad or at least, you know, taking it in and then maybe even clicking on it, taking a downstream action, such as, who knows, adding a product to cart or like exploring a product page or filling out a contact form or what have you. And that is really cool because it's all about moving that little bit of extra percentage of engagement into the conversion where it's like, okay, yes, there's a gazillion pages of garbage written about how long before you have a pop-up come because you're basically trying to make assumptions. So not that you guys are a pop-up, but it is that like taking and making an intelligent where, you know, people have been saying, oh, you do six or three quarters of the page or at the bottom. Yes, but you only get 10%. You know, it's like back and forth. I maybe have been part of conversations that just like, why did I just lose an hour of my life on the (laughs) length length of time before a pop-up occurs? Um, So yes, I am a bit older the digital market, older, yeah, this is eight years ago, more of a time frame. But yeah, I mean, just right there, I mean, that's a huge, huge, huge pain point. And the amount of stupidity that goes around in trying to figure out and game it or you know, has over the years is you know, huge from a user. So moving someone into that and being just more like, oh, hey, we're here. You know, and then if you get the targeting yeah. and everything else right, yeah, that that's, that's cool. Right. We pay, you know, our, our ads, our ads are patient. We'll wait, we'll wait for you to be done. That's okay. Yeah. We're not going to try to get stop you or interfere with you. I, that is really cool because yes, I think some of us who've bought advertising here in the audience have probably gone through weird discussions around like when and how to do it. But like I know back in my life of having an agency where we were working with large global five hundreds, 
these types of things got to be so esoteric and so stupid, you know, how to move through. And uh, yeah. in looking at that, now that you're working on a more intelligent engagement capability for advertising, what are you finding interesting right now? What's interesting, I think, just in the ecosystem is the battle basically between Apple and Google and Facebook. And, you know, Apple is clearly trying to get into the advertising game. So they're blocking. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's, it's called ATT, but um, where an app will ask if you want to be tracked across the other apps on, your, on an iPhone. And so in doing that, that severely hampers, it's more difficult for Facebook and Instagram to report conversions and attributions to their own advertisers. And so the advertisers are more blind than they used to be. And so it's difficult for them to justify spending more and more money on Facebook and Instagram ads if they don't know exactly who in fact is converting and therefore they don't know who else to put their ads in front of. And so I think Apple's got a really strong position right now for themselves to, to kind of squeeze out and, and hamstring a little bit Facebook and Instagram. With Google, it's a little bit different. They own their own operating system, of course, on Android, which was a brilliant move to protect themselves from things like this. Google, of course, is still largely, you know, most of their ads are coming from search and, and from YouTube. And so, you know, those, those won't be as hampered, of course. And then, of course, I think, you know, you have Amazon, which their ad business is absolutely booming that's contributing a very large percentage of their profit is coming from really two business lines, Amazon Web Services, uh, which is their, their cloud computing business, of course, and then their advertising business. And so that's where most of their, their margins and, and profit are coming from. And all of the stuff that we buy on Amazon basically just is there to support these two other cash cow businesses. And so I, that's what I find interesting. You know, and I think what we're trying to do as well is we're ideally wanting to get in the game of, hey, if you want to target certain types of audiences or people, you can do that across the web through our ad units outside of the walled gardens of Facebook and Google or even Amazon. And so if we can start to become a kind of a, a fourth horse in that race, albeit a very, very, very small fourth horse, we think we could be in a very powerful position. It's becoming really interesting because it's like watching how Facebook's, their sale, they didn't tank, but their growth level, you know, horrible, this big attack and all this. And instead of it knocking away their business as everyone knows all the headlines have been saying for a year, it did slow their growth, which, you know, is a big deal, but it's still like, okay, it's just slowing their growth. But what I find funny is the increase both in Google's, you know, third party, but then their increased emphasis on meta, the metaverse with looking at that tool set and sort of like, okay, they're going to want to control, you know, right now they control all access through it. I once got my account locked up and I had to apologize because I was sideloading programs through a developer account. And it's like, you can't do that. But it is interesting just seeing like, okay, who controls the access and then the underlying way to move advertising. And I'll, I would never bet against Facebook I think they're absolutely brilliant and I think they can somewhat read the future. And people have always questioned some of their moves. Like when they acquired Instagram for a billion dollars, people thought that was crazy. Well, that's proven, proven to be one of the more brilliant and successful acquisitions of all time. And when they uh, also around that same time, they said, okay, we're, we're going to focus everything and invest on, in mobile. And this was back you know, eight years ago. 
people thought that was crazy too. But the shots that they've called have been right. And so I think a lot of people are confused exactly what metaverse is going to be. But I think in five years' time, we'll probably look back and be like, wow, they called that shot and they were, and they were right about it. So I, w- I would never bet against Facebook. Yeah, and it's interesting just watching it. Yeah, you know, And even the Instagram I like because – yeah, they they sold it with the, like the line like did a, you can get more money or you can have a cool billion. But he actually it was when he did it he called a shot because it was like a month. I think it was right before they had to go quiet or whatever for their you know investment run up for the IPO. But he said all right, it was seven hundred and like forty seven yeah you know, like three quarters of a billion in stock at the time. I'll, yeah, this is what you get and it'll be a billion dollars for and I think it ended up being like a just over a billion, but like a million dollars. But like, yeah, <laughs> he was like, I'm going to call the show, you know, right. like the pool shirt. Yeah. The guy comes, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Why don't we play for fives? Why? Yeah. Oh, wait. 50. <laughs> it, I do. Yeah. I think he, he, he can see the play f- playing field quite well. Okay. And speaking, you know, kind of transitioning that as an entrepreneur who's gone back and forth between being an entrepreneur and intrapreneur. How do you define your success? Where are you looking to go here you know, over the next foreseeable future? I think all entrepreneurs, whether that's the entrepreneur or entrepreneur, should define their success by the value that they deliver to their own clients. Eventually, your own revenue growth and, and expansion will come from that. But first and foremost, you need to be obsessed about the value that you're giving to your clients. And if you can execute on that, consistently and continue to expand and grow that value that you deliver to your clients, you will then be the beneficiary of value as well. And so that that really is how we, we measure ourselves is what is the ROI that we can deliver to our clients. And then, and then yes, the byproduct of that is, okay, how is our own revenue growing? Great. That's great. But the, the early indicators of your own future growth are just simply the value that you're delivering to your clients. Mastery. Mastery is, you know, like, how do you become a master? You sweep the floors, you carry the water. What do you do once you become a master? You sweep the floors. You, it's working the process. It's, as you said, creating value. And yeah, the rest should come, but there is, you know, the only guarantee you have is if you create value, you have opportunity. That is, yeah, it's a lot of work to kind of focus on that value generation process. That's right. And I think a lot of it is, knowing your customers very well, knowing what is it, why do they buy from you? What do they see as your unique differentiator? How can you become what I call, I use the term heart and lungs. How can you become heart and lungs to your clients where you are just critical to their operations, to their business? Once you get to that position, that means you've created a tremendous amount of value for them, which then gives you that right or that honor to grow your own business and and really pour gasoline on the fire and hire additional folks and, and expand. But first and foremost, I think as an entrepreneur, is you need to be close to your customers and know why they buy from you and what else you could be doing to improve their own businesses. So how about yourself? How are you looking to define, I mean, besides creating value, are you looking not to give you a job search process or something or a, you know, a new start, but is this a pathway where you're looking, your journey is going to be take this to another level and then down the road, I mean, have you defined what your own entrepreneur journey is going to look like? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because usually when when I've been working at a, you know, not doing my own startup thing, but, you know, employed by a larger company, 
I'm constantly thinking about my own entrepreneurial ideas and startup ideas. And I, I have an itch that's constantly pulling me in that direction. Like typical entrepreneurs feel that. Here, I've been here five years and that has not happened. I feel very at home at Wonderkin. And I love not only this company as a whole, but I love this business unit that we're growing. And you know, the team is phenomenal. And it's interesting too, you know, as the team has grown with exceptional talent on this team, my stress levels actually go down. It's amazing, right? Like five years in, I feel that I'm at my lowest stress level, even though the expectation on the business is so much higher than it was years ago. So simply because we have such great people in place that are that are executing. So I think there's there's still a ton of runway for us with this business to grow it tremendously. Like I said, if there's a way in which we can somehow be a, a fourth player in that really strong ad ecosystem driving value for our advertisers and for our, our media partners. Wow. I mean, that, that's a, that's a great business to be in. And again, and it's a, and it's a, it's a strong margin business too. We make good margins for the business. So yeah, I think there's still a lot of room for growth here. So as long as I'm allowed to stick around and, and, and lead this business, it's, it's something I, I have a real pleasure to, to do and I would have a desire to do. With the success you're having, I can kind of generally, I could see that you will stay around that, you know, as long as you want. Now, for the audience to like learn more about how they can. You know, I honestly, I, I'm happy with people emailing me. I'm very, very good at email. You know, I'm one of those people that I'm almost always at inbox zero because I'm just very efficient in my inbox. I, I think a lot of people view a non inbox zero as some sort of like, badge of honor that they're like so important. I actually take the opposite. <laughs> I'm like, you know, actually inbox zero is important for me because it makes sure that I'm staying on top of things. So I encourage people to, to email me if they wish. And my, my email is Andres, which is A-N-D-R-E-S at wonderkind.co. And wonderkind is W-U-N-D-E-R-K-I-N-D.co, not .com. We're hopefully in the process of obtaining that domain, but at the moment it's, it's .co. And then on, on Twitter, I'm just Dre Moran, which is D-R-E-M-O-R-A-N on Twitter. Happy to engage there as well. But yeah, I'd love, I love speaking with entrepreneurs. In fact, for, for a couple of years, I was a, a mentor for Amazon where, where they would help connect startup founders with mentors that they had built a mentorship network. And it was something I just really enjoyed doing with no, you know, there was no financial gain or no financial stake for me. It was just the love of the sport. So I'm, I'm, I love speaking with entrepreneurs. Sweet. Well, we'll make sure we won't put your email straight out on the yeah you know, in the show notes. We'll put some spaces scrape yeah you know, so the scrapers don't come by. But yeah, you know, we'll definitely put links <laughs> to your Twitter and then reference that you can find your email in the show. Just because yes, I, I always do like it when I get a new a new spam bot coming around and <laughs> yeah they're they're always fun. They're out there. Yes, Andre. Since I'm in spam, Andres. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was this was a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm glad you were able to come on the show. My pleasure, AJ. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to the conversation we just had with Andres. I love his journey, but definitely for me, since I'm no longer in my home city, New York, it's always great to talk to a fellow New Yorker. Yes, I live in southern Spain, but to me, I will always be a New Yorker. So that was a lot of fun. But no, Ayn, really, really interesting listening to Andres talk about the support he gets from the CEO of the company, building out and the direction he gets to move with his team and how to guide them. 
and the excitement he found as an entrepreneur to take on this challenge. Yeah, not saying you should close your business or do this, but remember, this is a journey we take as an entrepreneurs. And listening to stories and learnings from people like Andres is always worthwhile for us to take that concept of like, hmm, instead of just focusing on running our own worlds, maybe it's creating something within a larger organization, the impact, the opportunity. Once again, thank you again. Can't wait to talk to you yet again. Have a wonderful day. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.